You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. And welcome to the Vicious Circle. Sid, how are things going for you today? Rob, I am doing pretty good. How are you doing up in Chatham, Canada today? <laughs> as good as I can do in Chatham, Canada. You know, a little out of the town, uh, out of the way town. It's it's kind of nice and not being in the bustle of a city. I guess you would know that too cuz you're you're off in Marion. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of nice having that small town feel. You know, the city the city drives a different rhythm. You know, you have to work fast. No, it does. It does. It does. Well, um, we're going to jump back into a wrestling topic. Now, I think when last we left it, you were on, uh, you had just left WWF um, and you had had that break. And now you're being brought back into WCW. And we talked briefly to at this point, because even in the background coming back into it, you were working at bringing Harlem Heat in. Right. Um. I think I touched on it before too. How much were you working for WCW before you actually came back? Like during, cause it was almost 13 months that you were gone, 14 months. Rob, I think I started, uh, I brought Robert Parker in a couple months before I was able to come back before I got my release. And the whole deal with him was uh, pretty simple. I just wanted to him make the big introduction about me coming back and sort of, um, Refer to me as like Elvis, you know, it was just, you know, it was, that's just saying I'm the greatest thing in the wrestling. And then not being able to be there, it didn't get over like I wanted to because I couldn't walk him through the things and have him say the things I wanted to because I couldn't be on the TVs at that point. But we still got the point across. And then I saw those guys, Harlem Heat, uh, went down to a, at a match in Texas for actually it was a benefit to raise money for Kerry Von Eric's family after his, his uh, untimely death. Um, so just doing all those things at one time there, trying to get that going. Um, but that's why then I put Robert uh, Fuller, which was Colonel Parker, with the Harlem Heat. And then that, I never wanted a manager. I just wanted a Colonel Robert to you know, introduce me coming in and then go with the Harlem Heat. I don't think I asked this last time. How soon after your departure from WWF did WCW contact you about coming back? Was um, it fairly quick? Actually, Actually, we had talked about it before I had left, uh, me and WCW. Okay. Uh, actually, yeah, so uh, I knew that the door was open there. And then, that's why I was so anxious to get out of there. I just couldn't, you know, and I knew I had a place to go. But I actually was talking to a guy named Kip Fry at first, and when I came in, he was gone. It was Bill Watts. My first meeting was Bill Watts, and then the next week, he was gone. And then the next guy I was in charge was Ole Anderson. And Bill Watts had actually asked me to be on the booking team, and then Ole – agreed to keep me on it and that's how i was able to bring in parker and um the harlem heat and, and uh, you know just you know work in the office like that 
So that leads me into my next question. How much input did you have into not only your character, but their characters? This is the thing is, you know, I had a lot of input on everyone's character if I wanted to. Um, I didn't put a lot of input on my character, Rob, because I didn't want that responsibility. Um, you know, I did my own interviews and stuff like that, but I pretty much only did that booking part. On the Harlem Heat, I brought them in and helped them with their interviews, helped Robert with his interviews. I actually wrote them all down for him for the first six months or so till they got going. But um, um, that's about as far as I wanted to go because I was also trying to get myself over. Gotcha. And yeah, and that's the thing too. Once you get into the business, like once you're back on the on television, you're trying to maintain your character as much as you can as well. Right. Gotcha. So then um, being part of the booking uh, committee, um, how much did you play into pushing Harlem Heat the way they got pushed? Well, I had a, you know, I came up with their name. Actually, I was going to call them the posse. Um, we had another idea that they were going to say they were a couple of guys off death row and I was going to have them strap everybody. And I wanted to build in, you know, down the road, say a year from that with the Steiners uh, and have a real strap match. Uh, they were strapping white guys and they, uh, Dusty Rhodes in the office said that uh, that was racist. And so they made them stop that. So I actually came up with the name. Um, I was going to call them the posse. But right before that, a movie had come out. It was an all-black movie, and the name was the posse. And I didn't want people to think I was copying off of that. But I came up with that before it ever came out. And this is months before as I knew what I was doing. So I went ahead and changed it to Harlem He. Now, Dusty wanted to call him uh uh, town he again, that's just, uh, that's off the road warriors. And I said, no, Dusty, they've been booking themselves or, pr- or promoting themselves as two guys out of Harlem. I said, we're not going to change it now. And I was, and he knew I was going to call him the posse too. And he also had a lot to do with reason I wasn't able to continue as the posse. So I said, no, Dusty, we're going to call him Harlem heat. And that's what we called him. Nice. Now, and how much interaction did you have? Because I know we talked, you had stories where they actually came, stayed with you for a bit. And were they, were they training with you? And right. So you were getting, no, they just, no, right. No, I, I was so, so busy, man. And, and believe it or not, those guys didn't work out like I did as far as getting to the gym and stuff. You know, I was always ahead of them as far as earlier and stuff like that. But no, they just, they stayed with me for a while till they were able to find their own place and, I gave them both a pair of boots, <clears throat> matching boots that I had and um, that I got from Bill Ash. I'm, no, I'm sorry, Clifford out of Houston, uh, which is my favorite pair of boots. And I gave them, like I said, a, pa- a batch- matching pair of black boots, uh, not patent leathers. I always enjoyed the not shiny stuff for a while. I went to the shiny stuff. But no, and they were they were good guys, and they were very appreciative of the, the break. Um, and it really had enjoyed my my whatever i got to do with them um and stevie to me was a great guy really smart articulate always good with dates and stuff so it was it was a lot of fun hanging around those guys were you surprised how much how well they took off no not at all i I would ask to bring them in if i didn't think they would have done that i actually you know i thought they would have done i think they should have done better um but after I left there, um, I wasn't able to be sure of that. You know what I mean? Gotcha. No, I can see that. Now, uh, one of the big things that uh, occurred during this was 
uh, and we talked briefly during the live episode that we did, was the Shockmaster incident. They keep calling right. it an incident, I know, where they had this promo set up where it was going to be uh, your team against, uh, was it uh, Sting's team? I think it was. And their mystery uh, partner was the Shockmaster. And he had that entrance. Right. What what kind of involvement did you have behind the scenes on that? Well, not involvement, but uh, we were all there earlier that day, like we always are for TVs and pay-per-views. <clears throat> I don't remember if that was a pay-per-view or a TV. But anyway, um, as we go through rehearsal, uh, they were showing the wall that he was going to come through. And I noticed on the floor there was a stud there. It's a two-by-four. And I said um, – Guys, with, uh, Fred's going to have that uh, big helmet on. Shouldn't we notch out this two-by-four? That way he doesn't trip on it as he's walking over it. They said, no, he'll be all right. So if you watch back on that, as we come down through there and he comes to that wall, he falls. And I said, see, I told you. And uh, we just kept walking. You know, we just kept going like we nothing happened. Yeah, I did actually rewatch it after you told me that, and you can hear it plain as day. The minute he hits the ground, you are very loud in the speaker. <laughs> Right, exactly. So was there any fallout on that, like after the promo was cut, you know? Did- well, this is the thing is, uh, um, and I'm not trying to, um, from what I remember, that was one of those deals, um, Rob, in this business, We, so many of us, when we're trying to do something, you know, we forget, we bring it out like we brought the shop master out, but we didn't know what to do. I, not me, but the company didn't know what to do with him after that. I mean, it was just going to be a big fiasco. And after that, they was going to hope it would fall in place. So they didn't have anything planned for it. So after the, he fell that like that, they came up with this idea. They was going to make him this big goofy guy, that blah, 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 you know? And I don't think he was there that long after that. So it's not that it changed the character. It's that the character never had an like a, a future. So it directed it into that comedic area. Right. Sort of same thing from my understanding how they did Kevin Nash with that character Oz. You know, I think it was Dusty's idea to do that because um, Turner owned the, the rights to Wizard of Oz. But they didn't know what to go f- go from there. If my understanding that the monkeys were shitting all over the place and, you know, stuff like that. It just was, it just, no one, everybody's like, where was this going? Yeah. You know? And I think this goes back to the RoboCop thing we talked about last episode or two ago. It Once you get movie involvement, it's then how do you keep the reality-based stories you're going for? Right. So, yeah, I, I never ever saw the Oz stuff, but I heard tons about it. Right. I think it was short-lived, too. I can, I can pl- understand why, you know. Right. Not that I'm a, an amazing booker by any stretch of the imagination. Well, Rob, this is, and I'm not trying to take up for anyone, but um, this is what happens when you've done this for a long time. Um, you sort of get burned out because that's all you're seeing. You're not looking out saying where I, I get a lot of my ideas is just from television. You know, if I was booking, you know, uh, looking at other people's product, you know, again, when you get burned out, you're just trying to think of something and the pressure on you to think of something is so great. You go, okay, I really don't know where this is going. But I'm gonna put it out there anyway. It'd be it's a great shining moment that may yeah. or may not have a future. <laughs> right, exactly. And I can imagine too, because the it's not like, you know, a season. You guys are on every week. 
right. you know, and it's like writing a soap opera in a, in a very physical manner and you need to come up with stuff fast. Right. Okay. Now, uh, from there, you guys did go into Fall Brawl, and you had your, your two teams, Sting, Davey Boy, uh, Dustin Rhodes, and Shockmaster, against you, Vader, and Harlem Heat. Right. Do you remember that match at all? <laughs> I really don't. No. I do remember, I do remember the pay-per-view, either before that or after that, where I, I worked with, um, I want to say I worked with Sting, and he, um, Vader worked with Davey Boy. That, that might have been after that. It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember a lot about that. was just to get into the next matches, you know, so um, don't remember a whole lot about that one. Gotcha, yeah, because, no, that was Halloween Havoc when you had your rematch against Sting and he turned babyface. Right. You do remember that match? Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, your favorite one was the one before, a previous one where uh, the fake Sting came out. Right. What, what do you remember about this one? Really, I don't remember. That's weird. I don't remember it. Uh, where was it at? I didn't write that down. Son of a gun. And I should have, because I know that's how you remember matches, is what, what's, what facility was it at. Right. But I did not write it down. Now, what's throwing me off, Rob, you said when he turned babyface, I don't remember him turning heel when really? I was on, in that run right there. Interesting. Because... And actually, maybe I should have done a bit more research on that, too, because you were always the heel in WCW. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I don't remember him turning heel up to that point. You know, um, I just don't remember that. I mean, Because we worked together a whole lot all the times I was at WCW. I'm going to dig more into um, that so we can come back to that one. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Okay. Now, um this is one of your shortest runs in WCW because I think it was like eight, seven months tops roughly. Yeah. Um, because at that point then this is when you went overseas and you right. guys did the England run, which I found was crazy. Cause I didn't realize, like I knew you guys drive around in like seven people in a car sometimes and you all sleep in one hotel room, you know, like, that's how the, the wrestling business was. You told me about your trip there where you flew into a city and then you had to drive for like seven hours to the actual hall and, right. then, and like another four hours back to your rooms. Right. So you guys are like almost up for an entire day just to do Almost the show. two days, Rob. But then this is when the incident happened between you and Arn. Right. And um, I, like we've talked, there's tons of stuff on the internet. If people want to know, they can look up stuff. What, what did you want to say on this? You know, honestly, um, we'll just go one time because this is new to our show. Um, and I'll tell my side of it one time. It was just like you said, Rob. Um, we'd been stressed out for two days. Um, we were ordering food at the hotel we were at, thinking that food was going to be brought to us and then take it to a room. Where actually, it was take it was being sent to our room if we had known that. I would have went to my room and this would have never happened. Really, basically what happened is everybody's sitting there, you know, shooting the breeze and uh, everybody's drunk because the, the only thing they had on the bus was beer. Didn't even have cold drinks uh, or sandwiches or anything. So you have alcohol so, and no food. Yeah, exactly. After two days of, you know, being on the road like that. So we get there and really, this, it was simple. Um, everybody's talking about what's wrong with the business. Why can't we do better business, sell more tickets and things like that. And 
you know, after having that run in WWF, I already knew this to start with is the business is simple, Rob. And we all know that is that you get a run, you, somebody else gets a run and then you might revamp yourself and get another run, but you just can't keep running. Okay. And, um, we can come up with a thousand examples. And one was where Flair was given a chance to give Scott Steiner a chance to be a singles. Uh, it happened in Gainesville, Georgia. And when they had the match, Rick really farted on everything. And Scott didn't get to ch- take off on a singles career because they didn't think Scott could do, you know, do it. Um, so Rick wasn't always there to help people get to the next level. Uh, so I just said, you know, really what's problem is, is that people, meaning people, not just Rick, but Rick Flair needs to just, we've got guaranteed money here. Uh, you don't have to worry about someone taking your place here. Uh, you know, let, let's do business. And then when business starts happening and everybody starts getting over, then Flair will get over more than he was at that moment. Uh, everybody will get over if you get these arenas sold out. And so uh, I said, well, just simply, I said, well, what the problem is, I said, people like Rick needs to uh, just step aside He's got his guaranteed money and not worry about what, what Bob and Joe is doing and let everybody get a chance to get over. And Arn took that personally and swung at me with a beer bottle. And it actually hit me in the head with one. All right, so then security was there. They broke it up. Now we're leaving. I'm going to my room. As I go to the room, I have to pass Arn in the hallway. He breaks a beer bottle and tries to stab me with it. All right, so I go down the hall to my room. I go in there. Now I'm mad. Uh, my food is sit, my food's sitting there. I'm thinking, God, if I could have just been in my room, I w- wouldn't have this to worry about. So I chose to take an arm off one of the chairs in there and was going to go back and beat Arn up with it. All right. So when I got back there, there was no one in the hallway. The security was gone. WCW had their own security there as well. So there was nobody in the hallway. Arn's room was shut. So I started knocking on the door, said, come on out here, man. If you want to try to stab me with a beer bottle, hit me in the head with another one, you know. Um, I hear Arn in the room and I hear some, like he had fallen down. I hear something shuffling around, like maybe a suitcase or something. And so I said, he's too drunk. He can't get, he's falling down. So I took the arm of the chair and threw it opposite the way I was walking. So I turned around to go back to my room. I heard the door open. When I turned around, he started stabbing me right away. Uh, got me in my face a few times. Um, he came up close to me. When he did, he actually was sticking me in the stomach with the scissors. I hit him one time. He fell, and he fell. His feet were at my feet. When he And I didn't knock him out. I just dazed him. So when he came to, he lunged towards the scissors, which had fallen out of my stomach. I saw him falling, but didn't know where they were falling from. They were stuck in my stomach. So they fell at our feet. He lunged to them. I dropped down and got him first, and I proceeded to stab him back. Uh, I remember two cold Scorpio saying, Hey man, you're killing him. Brought me two. And I look, uh, there I am on top of him with the scissors in my hand. So I, I took the scissors and I threw him way down the hall. I went to pick him up. And when I did blood squirted out of my stomach to the wall. And that, at that point I know I'm stabbed and this really it, it, until that I didn't realize I was even stabbed. So, um, I went to the, um, front desk, I called an ambulance and got us both to the hospital. Uh, what happened at the hospital was the Birmingham police, England, <clears throat> wanted me to press charges uh, because he was the aggressor. Um, I said, no, uh, we're both in bad shape, and I just want to get home. And they said, well, your buddy doesn't have a scratch on him. 
So I said, okay, then I do want to press charges. So when they went to get the charges, they were going to bring it back for me to sign the next morning. The nurse came in the room and told me that your friend is in really bad shape. So I went down and looked at him, and he was in really bad shape. So I, when the guy, the, <clears throat> the, the official officer is what you call him, England, came my my, my hospital room the next day, I refused to sign the papers. I said, no, he's in bad shape too. And uh, um, even though he was aggressor, I'm, I don't want to press charges. Now, when we got back home, the both of us, um, he actually pressed charges or sued me, which I had to get an attorney and had it thrown out of court. Now, as far as um, people saying I got fired from WCU, that's not the case. Now, right before we went over that tour, I just got a new contract. And what it was is, the whole time I was in WCW, they never signed me to a contract. When Eric took over, he recognized that and wanted me to sign. I said, no, I'm not signing this contract here because I was promised a bigger deal than this. So he gave it to me. So that was sort of part of the jealousy. We went over to England that I'd got this big raise, okay? So uh, when I went to meet with Eric and uh, took my attorney with me, um, we flew in from Memphis there, was talked to him in the office. They said, you know, they said the same thing. We got a... Uh, case here where people were talking about not working anymore if we brought you back so what we're going to do we'll bring you back but we're going to bring you back at the pay that you were getting and i said no i said if you take my money I, i'll go somewhere else now knowing i just left vince i didn't really have a lot of options at that point and yeah. rob that's why when you know the story about when i say being on the whipping post i came off of that and that's why i'm so proud of myself for the things i have done from that moment on so again i I thought a lot of myself and still do. And I said, I'll, I'll weather this storm. I'm not going to take a pay cut when I wasn't the aggressor. And, you know, long story short, they brought me back in, gave me four times the money that they offered me then and brought me into the room dressed in all black and told on, Hey, he's back and let's get this straightened out. So, um, me and Arn shook, shook hands. And from that moment on, we've been, you know, pretty receptive towards, towards each other. And see, that says a lot right there. Right. Now, I think the only two things I'd like to add to this, just just like you said, so we can let this go to, to rest, you know, like we won't bring it up again. Um, the one thing that gets confused a lot, I think, is when people talk about the scissor incident, people are picturing these giant shears, you know, and people right. are completely amazed when they find out there's, they were just small little, you know, like almost uh, clipping scissors. Well, what I think he used those scissors for was to cut his razor blades. Uh, when people needed to make up a blade, that's what people use scissors for. And they were just, again, just like four inches, or if, if not that long. And the thing is, it's not that it makes it any better what no, happened, no, no. but they were just sticking out of the back, bottom of my hand just an inch. So, But again, it did, unfortunately, some serious damage to arm. Was arm, I think his hand is you know, permanently not functioning right. Not that I'm not proud of that. Um, um, on the other hand, I'm not sorry. Um, because I didn't start that. Um, I, I feel bad it happened to Orange. I said this many times. Orange was a really good to me. He helped me out in the Four Horsemen. Not a whole lot, but more than everyone else did. And I always appreciate that. He helped me with my interviews and stuff like that. Gave me a 15-second you know, thing to say, which a lot of people wouldn't do that. So Orange was a, still, to me, he's a really good guy. And the second thing I'll bring up to the fact, because I did a lot of research on this before, and you see so many people commenting on this. And the funny thing that struck me, and we talked about this too, is literally there were only two people in that hallway. 
Right. Up until Two Cold Scorpio comes in to kind of stop you, you two were the only ones there. Right. So all these people talking about everything that happened in that hall is purely speculation. It's all speculation. And now, Scorpio, I don't know where he, where he started looking at him. My understanding, he's told me this, is he wasn't but looking out the crack. You know, he was scared to come out um, for what was happening, you know. So he, and, uh, me and Scorpio have been friends for a long time and um, still good friends today. And when I see him, it's always good to see him. But um, he said, hey, man, you're killing dude, you know. So that's when I stopped. If he hadn't said that, uh, Rob, I don't know what would have happened. Well, and see people, I know people can picture themselves in that position where they've gotten upset and where they're, they're, you know, they're running on adrenaline. Right. And then you dump on top of that, everything that you guys went through for two days with no food, tons of alcohol, you know, uh, raised anger for certain topics. You know, it's just, it's a boiling pool of, uh, chaos waiting to erupt. Right. Exactly what it was, Rob. Uh, one of the other things I want to touch on, cause when we get to the end of this, um, and again, I know I've spoken to you about it. Vader had a story where you were coming out and he actually put his finger in your stab wound to protect, like to help you. You said you were fuzzy on that. And yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say he didn't do it. I just don't remember him do it. I know he was squirmish on things like that as well. Uh, um, so, um, I don't remember that. I do remember him being in the lobby when I got there or, or coming there short, shortly after. I got the lobby. So, um, but I don't remember him doing that. And see, that speaks volumes to anybody that gives an account too. Like, you know, even yourself, because of the fact that adrenaline's pumping and you're, you're flying and you're fuzzy, you know, and then blood loss will cause some memory issues. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. Right. Yeah. Now, the last thing I want to talk about just before you leaving, um, it looks like supposedly you were supposed to go into an angle. Like when you guys came back from England, you were supposed to go into an angle with Vader. That right. There was actually some TV tapings that were already done. And right. you were going to have the championship by putting Vader in the torture rack. How accurate is that? No, I don't think we never talked about the torture rack, but that was the idea to um, turn me baby face and work with Vader. And you know, so we had the same finish. And uh, that was the whole reason to put us together in those tag matches against Sting and Davey Boy, just to start that. Because uh, when you put two people together that that strong, people can't stop to help to wonder, man, what if these two guys were? As soon as we got together in those tag matches, people already started saying it. And I never seen like an automatic. They were turning the people were turning me babyface without doing anything. So I knew that that was going to work pretty good. Well, yeah, because we talked about that too, like back in uh, New York against Hogan, people were cheering you and booing him, but you were the heel. Right. You know, people know what they want. Right. <laughs> oh man, thank you so much for this episode. Um, I think we are pretty much at our end and better get to a question. All right, let's get a question. My time is yours. And for our question this week, we have Jason from London, Ontario. Jason, what have you got? Yeah, hey, uh, so my question for uh, this week is... Going back to the, um, you touched on it before the uh, 90, 1996 Survivor Series where you um, wrestled Shawn Michaels. Uh, you ended up beating him for the title on that night. Um, in the crowd, though, uh, with him being the babyface and you kind of being the heel, it seemed like the crowd kind of turned on, on Shawn and got behind you. 
Uh, is, that, is there anything during the match that you would have to change or kind of, uh, you know, coming into that with you being the heel, him being the baby face, but the crowd not kind of going with that? I, I, I think it, this is the answer you're trying to get. What happened there was this. There wasn't a one-day deal that got to that, made it get to that point. It was Sean's career, pretty much the bulk of his career versus the bulk of my career. And then, and I've, talk, I've talked about this with people before. In the Northeast, and that's where that is, it was in, at the Madison Square Garden, they hate guys like Sean. You know, and, they, and Sean knows that. They hate the goody-goody guy, right? So, from again, with my bulk of career being that guy that the New Yorker loves, and that's the type of guy that would step on you and then spit on you at the same time and then keep walking. So there wasn't uh, – I think we all knew going into that. And anytime someone works with me in the Northeast, if they're a goody-good guy like that, like that or Sting or – Someone like that, they're going to boo those guys, and that's just inevitable. Excellent. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.